Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. We're back at it again with the BRIC in the place to be broadcasting live from NFL Draft Bible Headquarters here in New Jersey. We are the Infectious Scouting Podcast each and every week, along with the veteran. Russell Landy, who brings his two decades of experience, of course, from the NFL, the CFL, the XFL, his time as recruiting coordinator at UCLA, of course, teaching the football and GM scouting course at Sports Management Worldwide. Russ has his hands in the mix all over the place, and we're lucky enough to chat it up with him each and every week, pick his brain, find out who's rising, who's sliding, who's surprised. And boy, oh boy, we've got a jam-packed episode today. We're going to discuss all the mayhem from the LSU-Alabama, the uh, fallout from Penn State and Minnesota, uh, who's moving up boards, and then, you know, my favorite time of the year, January. Draft season is upon us with the All-Star Game invites. You see the Senior Bowl and East-West Ryan game, and oh yes, the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl all uh, you know, confirming some of their accepted invitations. Of course, you know, I've been working hands-on with the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl all season long and excited about the roster we're assembling there. So we hope to see you out in Pasadena on January 18th for the ninth annual NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. But now we're excited to welcome in the star of the show. He is Russell Landy, as I mentioned at the top, two decades of scouting and he joins us now. Russell, what's shaking, my man? What's going on, big timer? I mean, the chance to get to talk to Rick again? I mean, it's like I went in a lottery two straight weeks. Hey, buy me two scratch-offs then, because I need all the luck I can get over here as we uh, inch closer to the draft season. And I think it's uh, 65 days away now, Russ, until the NFL PA Bowl, so in less than two months. The all-star process will officially begin. I think, you know, unofficially, it's the bowl game season, and a lot of the teams, you know, we're starting to kind of see how the draft order shakes out and some of the teams who are going to be eliminated from the playoffs, I feel like they begin to turn their attention where uh, some of the coaches begin to get more involved during the bowl game season, start tuning in and trying to formulate opinions and, you know, you've been in the war rooms, you've been in uh, these front offices with these organizations. Take us behind the scenes, Russ. What is going on from a front office perspective? And how does it apply to a team that is contending versus a team that, like the Bengals, I believe, are still winless? Obviously, they're heading for a lotto pick. Um, how does it difference? At this stage of the year, a contender versus a pretender in the NFL. Well, you know, I'll point out three things, I guess, is the well-run teams, whether it's the Patriots um, or for many years the Giants, although you wouldn't point to them now, the Steelers, um, they're run the same whether they're in contention or they're not because they are focused on everything. They're organized. They're detail-oriented. Nothing really changes how they go about scouting. Um, But I think what the difference is when you look at this time of year, if you're a contender, is your your scouts, especially the ones that are in the office, the pro scouts, they're so focused on making sure, hey, who, where, how prepped is that ready list? Who are the next guys we can get in here? 
if something were to go wrong, where are we at with our practice squad in terms of not only how good are they, but are they filling the roles to be the next man up? Where are we in terms of evaluating other teams' practice squads? Because the other teams' practice squads are really valuable this time of year. Because if you have a guy that goes down hurt, you may not want to bring in a guy off the street. Even if you've worked him out recently and you worked him out and he looked good, he's probably not in football shape. So knowing those practice squad guys, which guys really you feel could come in and step in quickly and be a good backup, all of that is really vital in terms of pro departments right now for teams that are contending. Um, teams that are losing the smart ones are searching practice squads and trying to figure out who can we steal stick on our team and we can bench a veteran and, and put him on IR um, so we can steal a few guys off practice squads. But a lot of teams that are losing aren't doing that. A lot of a lot of teams that are out of contention, a lot of them are out of contention because they're disorganized. And some of them are sort of flying by the seat of their pants. But the well-run teams that are out of contention, they're doing everything at this point. They're, they're really grinding on the roster trying to say, okay, which guys are going to be back next year? Which guys are we pretty sure are not? Okay, well, let's try to identify the guys that are not. And if we have an option to get rid of them without taking a cap hit for the future year, let's get rid of them. And let's try to bring in some young guys. Let's go steal players off practice squads. Let's go sign some guys off the street that we may have had high grades on either when they were coming out of college or when they were in the NFL before they got cut by somebody else. Um, It's just it's a very different puzzle for the teams that really know what they're doing and those that consistently are sort of scrambling and trying to, I don't know if it's fly by the seat of their pants or be reactionary. The smart teams this time of year, whether they're contending or not, are constantly proactive. And they're always thinking, what if, how do we prepare? What can we do to never be caught in a situation we're not ready for? Whereas teams that are not well organized, whether they happen to be contending in a certain year or most of the time they're not contending, often don't think ahead. And almost all of their moves are based on reactions. And that can even be to the point of a team that is out of contention, that's poorly run, having a really good player on their practice squad, and everybody says, oh, look, they were smart. They decided to promote him to their active roster. Well, there's a good chance they weren't even thinking about that, but a well-run team jumped in and tried to steal that player. And that team reacted and said, oh, my God, he, they, they think he's good. He must be better than we think he is. Let's get him signed up so we don't lose him. So I think it's more the well-run versus um, poorly run organizations this time of year. There's a real separation in what you can do for your team for the long term and for next season based on the decisions you make over these last two months of the NFL season. You know, and the point you make about the practice squad, uh, that happens every week. In the NFL, yeah, that's something that doesn't get reported and you don't hear about. But I hear about it just talking uh, with the agents as frequently as I do. It's it's, uh, it's interesting just to see how that game is played. It's also interesting, I think you can, to your point, Russ, see, you know, who is more proactive than the others. Each week, you know, you, you get a look at, you know, uh, the free agent workouts. What What players are teams bringing in? How many players? our teams bringing in and, and some of the teams you mentioned like the Patriots and the Steelers and the Ravens who seem to uh, get it right more often than not they seem to be the ones bringing in the bulk of players for, for workouts and a lot of times they don't wind up signing anybody but they're kicking the tires they're doing their due diligence and to your point uh, making sure they're prepared for worst case scenario what happens if a player goes down at a critical position, who do we have? Who have we worked out? What's the status? What's the progress report? So uh, some great perspectives from Russ Randy. And one thing I'll add there is the smart teams use that. We call it in the the NFL, they call it the gong show, the Tuesday workouts. Um, The smart teams aren't just saying, oh, my God, we had two running backs get hurt in the game. We don't know if they're going to play. Let's bring in nine running backs to work out this Tuesday. What the smart teams do is at the end of training camp, they've got their ready list on the board. And every team breaks it up differently. Some teams it's one master list. Some teams it's 27 and under, 28 and over, and practice squad eligible, practice squad exempt eligible, all four categories. And some teams just say, okay, we have our ready list, and every week we're bringing in two positions. 
of all of those players that are on the right list, bringing them all in because you want to get them a physical. You want to see how much they weigh and how in shape they are. Have them meet with your coaches so that not only do you have a ready list, but your ready list is even more refined now because you've actually met with some of these guys. You may bring in a guy that you have number one on your ready list. You bring him in, he sits with the coaches, and the coaches say, yeah, he uh, next year he may be great if we have a whole offseason, but we can't bring him in now because he's not going to be able to learn what we need him to do. We need to put him on next year's list of guys we want to sign in futures contracts, but he's not a guy we can keep on our ready list. So the, the, the teams that are proactive about the practice squad, they're always looking at it from, hey, where are the guys on the street? Let's get this practice, the, 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 the players in so we know our ready list is up to date, and let's look at our practice roster and make sure that it's filling the needs. And the other thing to throw in there is there are teams, and I'm sure the Patriots will lead the league in this every year, which is the rumors are out there, oh, they have a few linemen that are hurt. And what do they do? They're bringing 12 linemen for a workout to further the belief out there that they may have injury issues at the O-line position, when in reality, those two guys that got hurt, they just had little tweaks of their ankle, and they're both 100% healthy. But this may cause opponents to start saying, oh, wow, they're O-lines, so let's focus more on that and trying to look at that as opposed to the other stuff. Because the Patriots are the ultimate example of a team that gets you to focus on the right hand when their left hand is throwing the touchdown by your head. So it's another way you can be deceptive in the league is trigger your workouts based around what the perception is of players you need at a certain position. Well, this is why uh, the Infectious Scouting Podcast is my favorite day of the week because we get to learn and educate, and I'm enjoying listening to Russ and educate us, and uh, I know you're out there learning as well because I'm picking up new information that I did not know. So we appreciate the insight there, Ross. Um, you know, this past weekend, I think, uh, you know, millions and millions and millions of people have dialed in on this LSU-Alabama game. I mean, uh, I forget what the ratings were, but it was the highest-rated regular season game in the past decade. It looked like uh, LSU had run away with it. They were up pretty big at halftime. <laughs> And then Alabama uh, inched back in, uh, you know, made the final score a close ball game. But uh, let's be honest, LSU dominated this affair, and they are well-deserved uh, of that number one ranking, in my opinion. But I'm curious to get your opinion in terms of uh, how do you see the top teams and also, more importantly, who were some of the players that stood out. I think the big thing here was – the battle of uh, the battle of the boroughs, I should say. But Joe Burrow, to me, Russ, I'm I'm curious to hear the fall, how you how you view it after this game. But Joe Burrow, to me, I think may have won over a lot of front offices in terms of being the number one draft eligible quarterback. Would you agree, disagree, or to be determined on that? Well, first of all, before I do any of that, I have to give credit and a shout-out to Southwest because I got to tell you, what other airline can I hop on the plane, open up my iPad, and boom, there's the Alabama game live on my iPad. I mean, it just doesn't get any better when you have to be traveling to still be able to do your work. It's, it really makes life a lot easier. But, you know, I think what Burrow did this week against Alabama was he not only showed how advanced a prospect he is and how he legitimately has to be, if not the leader, in serious discussion as to the top quarterback. But I think more than anything is it really showed, to me at least, that Burrow has a lot of the features of an NFL quarterback in today's day and age where teams aren't just looking for the traditional guy that drops back five and seven step drops, sits there for two and a half, three seconds, goes through his full progression, and then makes that throw after three seconds. The NFL really likes those guys, and this is where Garoppolo sort of excelled in college. Um, he's sort of that guy who can catch it and is really quick in what he does. He's got the quick feet, he understands the defense, what's going on in front of him. He knows how his offense fits against that defense. And he doesn't have to sit there and go through the progressions and slowly do that. He catches it and instantly knows what's going on and the ball's out. 
And I think that's something that you've seen from Burrow throughout the season. And I think not only has he improved from last year, I think during this season, you see him getting more and more comfortable with the offense, with the play calling, with the reading of defense in relation to how they're trying to take away his options in this offense. And I think that's what's been most impressive to me when I watch this kid and why I think a lot of NFL teams really are going to like him is he seems to have that that real quickness in his mind that gets you excited. And and it reminds me a little bit, although they're completely different quarterbacks in terms of style of play, it reminds me very much of Lamar Jackson now, because when you watch Lamar Jackson with the Ravens, even though that offense is tailored to him, he has to make instantaneous decisions because of what they're doing, whether they're doing the run option and he's going to fake and run this way and do all sorts of different things to be effective and get the ball to the right people. He's got to be instantaneous in his thought process. And that's one of the things I really was impressed with with Burrow. And and on the opposite side, I looked at Tua, and it's not that Tua was terrible. That's not a fair statement. He wasn't a bad quarterback in this game to where you say, oh, he's undraftable. But to me, what I saw with Tua was more of a traditional quarterback, a guy that sort of is a little bit more methodical, goes through his progressions, and sort of that Brady Rivers type. Not that you can't win with those guys, but there's just a different methodology of how they play quarterback. And I think some teams are going to look towards the bow. They want that quicker guy, whereas other teams are going to want the more traditional quarterback who can sit back and slowly go through his progressions, find the weakness, and get the ball out. I thought it was a really interesting weekend. I came away very impressed with Burrow. He did some things, making reads, getting the ball out quick, leading receivers, putting the ball where only his man had an opportunity to make a play on it. I thought he had a great week. I mean, this guy's just so poised. Nothing matters. I mean, he's cool as a cool cumber. I mean, he's up there in, in, in uh, you know, Joe Montana territory when it comes to cool, uh, you know, calm under pressure. I mean, it just seems like nothing matters this guy, Russ. And I'll tell you what, you know, the reason why I have Burrow number one on my board is because I'm getting a potential franchise signal caller minus the injury concern. And I think that was the big question again coming into this matchup is, hey, is Tua healthy? And hey, what's up with the ankle? And hey, uh, you know, he is a more traditional type of quarterback, but he does tend to run the ball. And he's not the biggest guy. Can he hold up uh, at the next level? So, you know, those are the questions for me. But uh, I think, you know, people always say, well, what is what is it? Well, Joe Burrow has the it factor. It's the intangibles. He's a leader of men. Uh, he takes, you know, command of, of, of the, you know, the alpha dog. He, the cream rises to the top. He's calling out the right signals. He gets it. He makes smart throws. Uh, he gets rid of the ball instead of taking the sack. He takes the sack instead of throwing the interception. Um, this guy just does so many things right, Russ. And, you know, to me, he's the new leader of the board. I have Burrow one, Tua two, and Herbert three in terms of breath eligible signal callers. And then I would probably throw Fromm and Love, who are more round two guys, in my opinion, but I think get pushed up into the back end of the first round just because it is a QB needy league. It is definitely that. And the one other thing I think that Bo deserves a ton of credit for is a lot of quarterbacks in college that are starters and struggle through a down year are never able to get really rise up and become elite because when they come back the next year after a down year, they feel that pressure of having to be perfect. I've got to be better. I've got to show everybody I'm better. And it leads to forcing the ball. It leads to rushing decisions. It leads to throwing balls up in the air to avoid sacks as opposed to, like you said, sometimes you got to take a sack. Sometimes you got to throw the ball away as opposed to throwing it up. And when you watch Burrow, when you go back and watch him last year, while the decision-making last year was generally good, the consistency in terms of accuracy, ball placement, and production, probably because they were just not running as good of an offense last year in terms of play calling and scheme, but you didn't see always the same production and the same playmaking. So he could have come into this season feeling a lot of pressure 
And that pressure could have shown itself in bad decisions and bad performance. But I think we've seen the opposite. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure coming into this year. I mean, it's LSU. Every day there's pressure if you're the starting quarterback. And all he's done is play at a higher level. And he almost looks like he's, like you said, poised like Joe Montana. Sort of Joe Montana always had that, hey, I'm not worried about anything. It's sort of a carefree look. That's what I sort of get with Bose. He's not worried about anything. There's nothing that's going to phase this kid. And that, to me, is one of the real exciting things when I watch him play. Oh, I love that in my quarterback. That's me, you know, I, can't, I think that's one of the big reasons why I, I view him now as QB1. And, uh, you know, he's won me over. That's for sure. Um, we're talking to Ross Landy, Rick Saratella here, breaking down this LSU-Alabama uh, game for the ages this past weekend. And, Russ, I mean, at any given moment, every player on the field uh, whether it's this year or in future years, will likely be playing on Sunday. Um, but there were a handful of guys who could actually be top 10 or top 20 selections. I mean, you take a look at the Alabama wide receivers. Uh, there's some good-looking players there. Of course, LSU with the safety, Grant Delpit. I mean, he's a potential top 10 overall selection. Uh, Steven Sullivan, uh, the wideout last tight end prospect who's got an invite to the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl that we're very excited about having there. And um, who are some of the other guys that kind of uh, either turned heads and improved their draft stock or maybe didn't perform as well as you thought? Well, firstly, you, you got you to gotta look at that, that real controversial catch down by the uh, one-yard line there by Randy Moss's son. I mean, you talk about a big, athletic, I don't know whether you want to call him tight end, huge receiver, whatever he is, his body control, his athleticism, I mean, he showed a lot of really positive things in the game, and especially on that catch, whether it should have been a catch or not, that, let the refs figure that out. But I, I, he impressed me. And I'll tell you, the kid they kept talking about, and they kept trying to compare him to Darren Sproles, is that running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And I thought he was phenomenal. But the one thing I'll say is let's hold off on comparing anybody that's short to Darren Sproles. Because Darren Sproles is a once-in-a-generation player. Not many 5-5 five, five running backs are going to play over a decade and be all pros. So I get that this kid from LSU is good, but let's hold off there. Sproles is, a, is, a, is an all-pro superstar who, who changed yeah. games. But th- this, this Edward Solaire was really impressive, whether it was carrying the ball out of the backfield, catching it out of the backfield, being used in a wide variety of alignments and roles. I mean, this kid was impressive. He's a little thicker than I think you think when you first think about a short running back. When you see them, when they pan down, they see him. He's got sort of a broad, thick, wide body, which is something you need when you're not a tall running back because you want to be able to absorb those hits that you're going to take because you're often going to be in a position where guys can't to sort of set up and get good tackling position. So they're just going to launch themselves at you from odd angles and hit you. So you want that thick frame to be able to handle those potentially explosive hits. Impressed me a lot. Looks like a guy that I think you could fit in a lot of roles in the NFL, catching the ball, handoffs, motion stuff, H-back stuff. Even though he's not a big kid, I think you could use him as a motion guy across the formation, chipping guys. I mean, he's got a lot of athletic traits and skills that make me think he's got a chance to be a versatile and productive NFL player. Yeah, no, he's a good-looking back. And LSU traditionally has recruited and developed the running back very well. And, you know, I think his emergence – also played into uh, Leonard Burnett's younger brother leaving the program earlier this season because uh, Hilaire was taking all the workload away. But um, to your point, uh, Randy Moss's son, I mean, hey, those are some bloodlines that I'm going to uh, yeah. give a lot of credence to there. I mean, you know, uh, I, that's that's a that's a, a body frame and a skill set and, and, and a and a legacy player that I would be excited about working with at the next level and, and, and developing that young man. Um, so again, I mean, listen, there's going to be a lot of players on Sunday from that game. Uh, Michael Divinity, the linebacker, has left the team. We're not we're not sure what's uh, going on. I I haven't heard any updates in terms of what his status is. I'm assuming he's going to declare for the draft. And, uh, you know, 
I got one for you, Russ. We'll shift gears here. Is there anyone else you want to talk about in that game? I want to shift gears for a second. No, he was the main guy. He was the main guy to me. Okay, so Chase Young, uh, whatever the story is, took money from a friend, took money from an agent. Listen, we we know what really goes on. The bottom line here, Russ, he could be suspended uh, four games, maybe eligible to come back for the bowl game or the college football playoffs. At that point, does it really make sense? Will he go the Bosa route? Should he go the Bosa route? And how would you advise this young man? You know, I mean, it's a real tough one. I think he probably will. Um, and the reason I say that is, and, and you hate to say this, because you, you always want your the players to play as many games as they can and, and prove themselves. But one of the things I've really, since I started in the league with the Rams years ago um, and been around it for what seems like forever now, and you love to, to constantly tell me it's over two decades, um, but is that... <laughs> No team cares about the players long-term in terms of their health and financial stability. Teams are looking to win football games, and that's both in college and the NFL. And while there are some that, like Pete Carroll, I think genuinely care for their kids, they're also not, even though they do, a guy like Pete Carroll, um, may care for his kids, he's not going to sacrifice the good of the team and keep a guy who may not be elite anymore at some point in his career because he has to win. So when I look at a guy like Chase Young, it's great to say be loyal to Ohio State. Be loyal and show everybody how much you love the game. So play every game. So stay there and do everything you can for the rest of the year to be a great player. But let's also remember, if all of a sudden he gets hurt, it's not like an NFL team's going to say, wait, wait, wait. He was a great player before this injury. We believe we believe he deserves to be taken with the first overall pick, even though we're not sure he's going to ever be that player again. Not going to happen. No team is going to take him first because they believe he deserved to be. They're going to take him based on where he should have been. If, they, if, they, if the case where you drafted him based on what they well, you believe they should have been, then Jalen Smith would have been a top-five pick after he blew out his knee for Notre Dame. But obviously we all saw he ended up going in the second round, lost a boatload of money. So, yeah, I understand the purists, and even to myself, I like to see these guys play every game in their college career. But to me, at this point, with what he has shown on the field this year, that he is a bona fide, elite, premier player, who in worst-case scenario is the third or fourth or fifth pick in the first round, in my opinion, have your medical guy come out and say, yeah, he's completely healthy, but we want to keep rehabbing to make sure he's perfectly healthy for the senior bowl or for the combine, whatever it may be. So if it's me, I'm shutting it down until then. And I know the purists hate that, but these young men have to protect themselves. They're getting nothing from these colleges in terms of financial consideration. And NFL teams will not draft injured players based on how good they should have been. They draft them based on how good they believe they will be at their current state in terms of health. So I think Chase Young has to do what's best for him and his long-term health in terms of financial health, life health, and for his family. So, yes, to me, don't come back. Don't play again. Yeah, and and those two words that you mentioned to seal the deal for me, Jalen Smith, (laughs) nothing. Yep, that's nothing else, right? There's nothing else you got to worry about. That alone tells you. I mean, like I said, if he was – have you seen Notre Dame step up and say, you know what, you went in the second round, you went in the 40s. If you'd been healthy, you would have been a top five pick. What's the difference financially? Okay, here's a check. Yeah, I haven't seen that happen yet from Notre Dame. So because right. of that, why are you going to put your entire financial future on the line? Now, I'm not saying you don't play college football because you have to go somewhere to prove yourself to warrant being a high selection. But Chase Young has done that. Last year, he was dominant when he stepped in and became V-man on their D-line. He was unbelievable all season. I thought he would have been a top-five pick after last season's performance. And what does he do? He comes back this year. He's even better. So he has played the game in college, proven himself. He's, in my opinion, no reason to risk it. It's time to sit out. I understand you're going to miss your teammates. You feel like part of a team and you want to do what's right. But you also have to look. 10, 15, 20 years down the road, a lot of those teammates that you love, you may only be talking to them at reunions and occasional phone calls. They're not going to be there to financially support you. So you need to make the decision that is best for you in the long term. 
He tells it like it is. He's Rush Landy. I'm Rick Saratella. We're breaking it down for the people. That's what we do here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. And, uh, you know, it didn't seem to bother Ohio State much for us. I think they won 79-14 to this past week over Maryland. So uh, they just keep on trucking along. LSU is now by Not only that, but imagine this week it could be even a bigger win because now they get to go against the, uh, uh, the Big Ten set out yeah. Rutgers. This could yeah, be this thanks, could be an eighty-five for, zip win. <laughs> this, thanks for reminding me, Russ. Uh, yeah, I, no, I, do not turn on Ohio State Rutgers this weekend if you want to enjoy the weekend. I am not even exaggerating. I honestly believe that Ohio State could possibly score a hundred points in this game. It, it's very possible. I mean, Rutgers is there at the depths that they have not seen since before Greg Ciano was their coach. This is They're reminiscent of the teams that were winning a game every other season where they were losing by 40 and 50 points on a regular basis. And, and it's really a shame from all the effort that was put in by Coach Ciano to turn that program around and really turned it into, at that time, a powerhouse program with the McCordys and Ray Rice and these great players. And now you look at – it's just it's it's embarrassing to me what they've become and and hopefully they can get this thing pointing in the right direction over the next year or two with whoever they hire as head coach and I'm thinking Greg Ciano is the name I keep hearing. I I have good news. They're on the one yard line. Ciano has a lot of demands, but they're demands that are necessary if if Rutgers wants to compete with the Big Ten. I mean, listen. I saw Minnesota's indoor training facility, Russ, compared to the Rutgers practice bubble. I mean, it's a joke. So, I mean, Ciano's fighting for facility upgrades. He's fighting for bigger um, assistant coaching pool to hire the coaches he needs to compete. And he will restore the pride. And you're right. It hasn't been this dark around here since the Doug Graber and Terry Shea days. But Seattle's yeah. on his way back. Unfortunately, there's going to be a big learning lesson this weekend, and uh, it's going to get ugly very early in New Jersey. Uh, but, you know, hopefully good things are on the horizon. Where I was leading with this is now we have Clemson back at three, Georgia in at four, and Minnesota and Baylor can't buy any respect so um, yeah it's pretty amazing that minnesota can't buy respect after they just beat penn state and that defense that we talked about for the last month about how good that defense is and minnesota went in there they had two receivers over 100 yards and rod smith had a really good game and they literally just i mean it wasn't a destruction but they beat him pretty soundly and, you know, the thing about Baylor, everybody is saying they didn't beat nobody. They don't beat nobody. Well, guess what? Outside of LSU, guess what? Baylor has more top 25 wins than any team ahead of them. So, I don't, exactly. don't want to hear this nonsense that they haven't beaten anybody. So, you know, um, I, you know I've come full circle on this. I, I didn't initially, I didn't know how I was going to feel about the college football playoffs. And I said, okay, cool. Then there was talk about expanding it. I said, oh, I don't know if that's the right way to go. We're going to be watering it down. And now I've come around and said, hey, you know what? We need to expand this thing to a plus one, at least six teams, maybe eight teams. But if Minnesota and and and, and uh, Baylor go undefeated and they're not in the college football playoffs for us, I mean, is it really a tr- playoff system? No, see that's the whole thing, especially when you're, especially when you bring up Baylor, Minnesota. To me, those are the two big things that you can complain about. I mean, yes, in years past, maybe Central Florida that was that was undefeated, but you could also look at Central Florida's record and say, okay, have they beaten anybody? But I mean, here comes Baylor. All they do every week is say, okay, who's up next for the Big Twelve? Yeah, we'll beat them. Who's up next? We'll beat them. They literally beat everybody. Minnesota goes into Penn State. Everybody assumes Penn State's going to throttle them, and what happens? Minnesota wins. I mean, it's just what Minnesota's done under P.J. Fleck. It's really amazing this year. Um, They have a big test this week. I mean, I hope they don't have it. This will be a great example of his ability to keep them on sort of a 
an even keel because you beat Penn State in a huge game that everybody was pointing to as this is your make-or-break game. Now you have to play Iowa. And Iowa is not a great team, but they are never going to beat themselves because they never make fundamental errors. So they're going to have to play a strong game, have to come out really competitive if they're going to win this game. So to me, this is Minnesota's got a chance if they can win out. But if Minnesota and Baylor are out of the playoffs, then something clearly is wrong. No doubt about it. And to your point, is I look at the head coaches and say, hey, this is not a fluke. These are two very talented, proven head coaches that have won at all their other stops. So, you know, I think the college football playoff committee has their work cut out for them over uh, the course of the next few weeks. Of course, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be keeping tabs on these all-star game invites, Ross, and boy, that – does it get my blood flowing and boiling and, and just all kinds of goosebumps here. But I just enjoy every bit of this process. And I think, uh, you know, the senior bowl now I have up to 55 commitments that they've already announced, which is great. Um, you know, Utah, there, there's another good team. And I think they're ranked in the top six or seven, but uh, they've had a handful of players already accept invitations to the senior bowl. And I know they, they have a handful of players that we would love to have at the NFL PA bowl. Um, we're even seeing some Clemson players accept this early in the, in, in, in the season. And I, I don't recall seeing that in years past. I don't know uh, if that's a new uh, protocol that Dabo is, is allowing, but in years past, you really never heard about Clemson accepting the all-star game invites it was just kind of like uh you know just assumed that would be in the college football playoffs but hey uh there's some clemson guys there uh, there's a lot of um, sec representation which you know was to be expected and um you know uh, the tennessee edge rusher there daryl taylor i know is one guy uh that we're excited about and you know i have not seen though I have yet to see a quarterback commitment, I believe, for the Senior Bowl. But there have been some intriguing players. Colin Johnson from Texas is a guy I feel like, you know, you, you, you pull the scouting community and his, you know, some people love him, some people hate him. Uh, some people don't even have a draftable grade on him. Um, so he'll have a chance to improve his draft stock in Mobile. But, uh, you know, obviously we'll be down there in Alabama uh, in just a couple of months. Have you had a chance to kind of uh, glance through some of the commitments, the invites, any thoughts, impressions? Uh, and not just for you the know football, this, if, you, if you want to dig into w- some of the other I will say there are four are. guys. There are four guys to me in the Senior Bowl that, just, that I'm excited to see. And one of them, truthfully, not just for me, it's just for all the CFL people because it gives them an excuse to spend the money to come to Mobile because usually they don't come to Mobile because we never see those players in Canada. But the kid from Oklahoma, Nebo Gallimore, um, I believe, based on my research prior to the season, that is a Canadian kid. So, or at least his mother is or something. So he has Canadian citizenship. So he's eligible for the CFL draft. Yes, Claypool's another one. So it motivates you to get down there if you're a CFL person. It gives you a reason. Normally, you can't spend that money because budgets are so tight in the, in the CFL. But here's your excuse. But I'll tell you, three guys besides that one that's just interesting. Um, and the, th- the three guys that to me are Josh Uche, a linebacker from Michigan. Um, <clears throat> that one to me is so interesting because that's a guy we talked about before the season because he was sort of a, a rotational defensive end, pass rusher at Michigan. And a lot of this year he's been sort of rotational. He's not been a full-time starter every game. Very excited that they're going to bring him down there. I can't wait to see him rush the passer down there. I think he's got a lot more pass rush skills than people give him credit for. Um, the other two kids, Bryson Hopkins, a tight end from Purdue. There are a lot of tight ends that everybody's talking about. And, and part, part of that is like me to blame. The kid from Missouri, love that kid. Think he's going to be a superstar. So there's other tight ends. But I think this Bryson Hopkins may end up proving to be if not the best one, one of the top two in the whole draft. And he could force himself into the first round with a big week down in Mobile. 
And the other kid I'm interested to see is the kid Ben Barch, offensive lineman from St. John's in Minnesota. St. John's is a legendary Division Three program that just wins and wins and wins, and they have some very unique rules on their team, like we never cut any players, things like that. They're always undersized, but they've had a few guys make it to the NFL for a cup of coffee. They've never had a guy that I can remember, and I'd have to go back and look at the records, but I don't remember in the last 30 years ever seeing a St. John's kid get invited to the Senior Bowl. So I'm really excited to see how he does coming from the St. John's sort of the world is great. Everything's fantastic. So what a bubble where he's the big, biggest fish in that tiny little pond probably ever in football history. Now he's coming down with the big boys. Oh, it's going to be exciting to watch him. The, the, the stuff that I've seen of him at St. John's, he's a talented kid. I want to see if he's athletic enough to stay outside a tackle or if he's going to have to be a guard. But I'm very excited to take a peek and see him. Indeed. I mean, there's a buzz around the St. John's kid. I mean, we were... We were uh, probably unrealistic with our hoping that he might fall to us at the NFL PA ball, but he was one of the first senior bowl announcements and commitments, and hey, hats off to him. He deserves it. And I, I go back to, I think it was Ali Marpet who was down there a couple years ago, and you kind of, uh, same same deal, D3, how was he going to react? Kind of struggled the first exactly. day, did okay the second day, and then by the end of the week, he was probably the most improved player there at Mobile. So he showed you he had the talent to adjust and get better and learn and get coached up. So uh, that's what these all-star platforms are all about, in my opinion. And I'm looking forward to announcing some more players for the uh, NFL PA Bowl and, uh, you know, the diverse list of players that we'll have on that roster. So stay tuned for that, of course, January 18th. Book those tickets, baby. We're going to hopefully soak in some sunshine this year, Russ. You know, I was out there last last year. It rained every freaking day. And then <laughs> I, the morning I, I wake up to fly out, it's like 90 degrees in Cali weather. But um, hopefully the weather treats us a little bit nicer this year. And, uh, you know, that's the update with the All-Star. Well, I can't wait to so, be like, there. I've never been to the NFL PA game. Well, and hey, now that Rick is there, man, there's nowhere else I'm going to be. Well, listen, you know what? Um, while, while you bring that up, and I'm not saying that because you mentioned me, but while you bring that up, I want to let everybody know out there that, hey, uh, the NFL PA Bowl offers a lot more than, you know, just a game. And it sounds cliche, but I think with the pending lockout looming, uh, getting introduced to the NFL PA fraternity that week in January is going to be so huge because you'll be able to prep for uh, a labor lockout. You'll get to meet the NFL Players Association. You'll be coached by a lot of the former and current player reps. So um, there's just so much education going on. And, you know, we look forward to having the players and the agents and, you know, our event grants more access to the agents than any other all-star event hands down. Um, so listen, we've got a great week lined up. The facilities are top notch. If you're a player listening to this podcast, and I know there's a lot of you out there that do because you contact me and want to be talked about. Well, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, the NFL PA bowl is, is really on the way up. And I firmly believe that it's my first year working with them, but it's entirely new leadership. Uh, Dane Vandernat has done an outstanding job. So you will see change and there will be people that will be reluctant. Uh, there will be players who go on and, and choose to play in the East West Shrine game instead of the NFL PA bowl. And that's fine too. But just understand that when you go on to the next level and you make that 53 man roster, you are now a member of the players union. So you now become a part owner of the NFL PA bowl. And I'll just leave that right there. Just something to stick with you. And, hey, I'm based here in New Jersey. We're going to do an NFL draft open house seminar on Black Friday. I think it's November 29th at the Test Football Academy. It's a free seminar. I'm doing this because there's a huge void in the marketplace. Nobody, nobody is educating players and their parents about the draft process, Russ. And unless you had a father who played in the NFL navigating 
through the draft process can be very treacherous waters. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. We're playing a bowl game. could be late December. could be early January. Suddenly, you now have to choose an agent, select a training facility, figure out if you have an all-star game invite, understand if your school conducts a pro day workout, what are your other alternatives and options, and sometimes players have to make these decisions within a matter of weeks. And Russ, quite frankly, sometimes it's a matter of days. So why not get educated on the process, learn what you should know, and find out how to avoid those dangerous pitfalls. As you know, there are quite a few of them. Well, it's so important. And unfortunately, I don't think many of the players, and it's not always due to the agents not preparing them in terms of not being qualified as agents. Some of the agents just don't know. They, they, they haven't been through the process as often as some of the more established guys. And that's why a game like the NFLPA is so valuable, because here's where they can learn a little bit about being a professional. Um, obviously, there are so many things that go into how to properly pre- present yourself when you go to the PA. How do you present yourself going to the combine? How do you choose an agent? What are the most important factors to choosing an agent? All of those things, which oftentimes players don't really know. I actually think it would be so beneficial if the agents and the players weren't allowed to sign right after the college season ended. Make them wait until at least the first few All-Star games, especially the NFL PA Bowl, Senior Bowl, and and the East-West are are not only played, but the NFL people are in attendance. And let the NFL and the PA coordinate a way for the NFL reps and the PA reps to sort of make presentations to these players at these all-star games, explaining to them the important things that are going on in the spring, the important ways to determine which agents you should be discussing with and which agents you really should be choosing for each of the individuals. Cause every player needs an agent that's going to suit different needs. Unfortunately, they don't really get that time. And I think it often leads to players signing with a guy and a month later, they're like, Oh, I hate this agent, but yeah, I'm already too far along in the process. I can't really dump him and go with someone else. It's one of the things I think it really could use some work. And I think a game like the NFL PA Bowl is, could be so huge in addressing that issue. And down, no doubt about it. He's Russ Landy. I'm Rick Saratelli. And Russ says, I make him feel old with his two decades of scouting experience. Well, hey, we're here in our 18th year at the NFL Draft Bible. So we're getting up there in dog years as well. But, hey, check us out, NFLDraftBible.com. We have our all-access football package, our in-season scouting update. Uh, been on location across the nation all season long, East Coast, West Coast, and everywhere in between. So, um, in fact, we do get a lot of teams and agents and industry folks who subscribe. So, if it's good enough for the industry professionals, I know it's good enough uh for you to enjoy out there as well. We always appreciate support there. And Russ, who teaches the football GM and scouting course, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Check them out at Sports Management Worldwide. You have a course currently going on, Russ. Uh, How can folks get involved? What are you currently teaching? What happens if they miss the first class? Uh, Take us through that process in terms of how people can get on board with the Sports Management Worldwide football and GM course. Well, you know, it's something I've been doing now for about 12 years, teaching for uh, SMWW, as I like to call it. Um, And and it's really sort of a basic introduction class to what is football scouting, how are organizations structured, how are scouting departments structured, and what are the little tips you can use to learn to separate yourself and put yourself in position to get a foot in the door in college football, the Arena League, the Canadian League, and eventually get yourself into the NFL. Um, and although two weeks are done, I would never recommend someone jump in, hey, I'm going to sign up and start week three because it's only an eight-week course, so that means you miss two of eight weeks, 25%. Don't do that. Another eight-week course starts in just over six weeks. Um, we really try to go through and just sort of give the basics. To give an example, the first week, Last Tuesday, not yesterday, last Tuesday, we went through the entire structure of an NFL organization, how it's laid out, what the different roles are, 
who reports to whom in most buildings, and how organizations are changing in terms of adding analytics departments, and not only adding them, but how they're incorporating the analytics into their scouting departments, into their coaching departments, to make sure they're all getting the most out of every single dollar spent as an organization. And then yesterday, we really got into the nitty-gritty. Everybody talks about, and I'm sure, Rick, you've heard this asked of you a million times when you're out there scouting, trying to find players, is you hear people say, oh, you must go to four or five games a week. Every Saturday must be crazy. When in reality, most NFL scouting and most scouting in general is done during the week at the colleges. And I really went through and give the process of what a college scout does day to day and throughout the whole year. So people really have an idea of what this job entails, because a lot of people think it's a glamorous, amazing thing. You get to go to all the big games like LSU, Alabama. They don't talk about being at Evangel College in Missouri on a Monday and going to watch South Dakota, Vermilion versus North Dakota up in Fargo in 10-degree weather in the middle of November, um, not going to the big games, going to some of the small games. So there's a lot the course teaches. And I think it not only gives you an opportunity to learn how to get a foot in the door, it also gives you an opportunity, and I've had about 10 to 20% of the kids that take the class come back to me and say, yep, I did all the reports, really enjoyed the class. This scouting thing ain't for me. I'm not someone who's going to want to watch seven games on a fullback to try to figure out if this guy has a chance to be a difference-making fullback in the NFL. So it's a great course. It really teaches you a lot about football, and it's a great first step into the world of football and scouting. Absolutely. Uh, All exciting stuff. Again, educational stuff and a great way to break into the business. And I'll add on to you better learn to like driving. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, you better learn. No doubt. To enjoy the <laughs> and, you know, no doubt. And you better I'm be able to hang out and spend time on your own. Yeah, and, and, and eating a lot of uh, meals by yourself in the hotel. But, you know, I'm glad I got out to California when I did. I'm driving on the highway. All of a sudden, I'm smelling fires. And I'm saying, what the heck is going on? And now you see what's going on over there. And it's just insane crazy. But, uh, no, uh, we love the sports management worldwide, folks. And uh, Russ and I actually have spoken on the panel together the last couple of years yep. and kind of uh, how how this podcast came about. So we appreciate everybody tuning in each and every week, making it our most popular podcast. And you're also now on the airwaves with our friend Matt uh, Waldman doing a weekly show as well, aren't you, Russ? Yeah, we just started, I want to say, about six weeks ago. We go every other week, so it's not as intense or anything like this. But Matt was a guy that about, I want to say it was about 15 years ago when he was just getting into the business. He interviewed me for an article in the New York Times. And ever since then, we've built this relationship um, of really sort of learning from each other. He comes to football from a very different perspective than Rick or I. I mean, he was a music major. Um worked in the real world for over 20 years um, and sort of developed his sort of, it's called his rookie scouting portfolio, developed that sort of on his own and, and sort of took a lot of tips from a lot of different people. And we've really become good friends over the years. And we decided this year, you know what, let's roll this out. And I think what makes it different than, than a lot of podcasts and similar to what Rick and I do is we, we'll get into the nitty gritty talking about players. We're not going to be like a lot of the podcasts that talk about draft stuff or TV analysts who say, oh, this guy's great, and move on to the next player. We'll get into the nitty-gritty, just like Rick and I will talk about why Burrow is not so much whether he's better or not than Tua, but what the differences are in them as quarterbacks, as opposed to saying they're both elite first-round guys. We'll get into the nitty-gritty, and that's what Matt and I do. That's why I think the podcast I do with you, the podcast I do with Matt, they're really different than most football podcasts because we don't just yabber about BS. We get into the nitty-gritty of why players are successful, why teams are successful, and why certain coaches clearly are better coaches than other coaches. No, it's all about the nuts and bolts for sure, and I'm a longtime follower of Matt. I always uh, you know, subscribe to his YouTube channel, love his in-depth analysis that he provides there, and uh, – you know, getting ready to rev up the podcast here. I'm going to pop on and listen and tune into that as soon as we finish recording here while I do some other data entry that you don't hear about. NFL scouts talking about another uh, big part <laughs> yeah. of your time to look at information, you know, and if you think about... The real fun part is what you're saying, right? 
right. And, and, and uh, just think about it, Russ. Uh, I'll use the Alabama-LSU game as an example, right? How many players are going to be prospects from that game? Now go take all those prospects and think about you have to get verified measurables. You have to put their hometowns, their high schools, their high school coaches, their date of birth, uh, any kind of background information, injury history. And that's all before we even break down any film or do any scouting analysis. So Exactly. That's what people don't realize. No matter how far you go in this business, you always have to do some grunt work. Always. And you know, that's a big thing that we talk about on the Sports Management Worldwide panel is don't be too big for your bridge. Don't be above and beyond any job. There is no job yep. too small or too little. Because I sit here and input I I get the combine measurables and I input them myself, Russ, you know why? Because nobody else wants to do it. So Yep, it's the truth. It's very true. Don't be that person that says, hey, um, I'm literally, and, and every time I tell people this or, or say it on a radio show, I always get the emails like, hey, Rick, I'll come do data entry for you for 20 bucks an hour. And it's not about that. My point is I'm paying people 20 bucks an hour to learn, but they're above doing data entry for 20 bucks an hour. They want it to all be scouting all the time, and that's not how this business works. And I think it's important well, that we well, continuously echo those sentiments. Well, I'll follow that up with sort of a sort of a crazy example of not so much debt entry, but people thinking they're too big for their britches. When I get hired to go to the Alouettes seven years ago, I go up there having worked in the NFL for two different teams, CFL, college football, more experience than anybody in the organization that I went to work for. And over the span of my six years, we would almost always have training camp at Bishop's University, which is about two and a quarter, two and a half hours from downtown Montreal. So it's in the middle of nowhere. So we would have interns that would drive back and forth, picking up players, picking up coaches, picking up scouts, visitors, whatever it may be. And in my second year and my fifth year, two different people both said to me when we were, our interns were all, they were full. We had nobody left. They were out on runs and we needed somebody to take a player for a physical. Both of them said, yeah, um, I don't do that anymore. I've been here. I, I'm, I've moved up. I don't, I, I don't do that anymore. And I thought to them, okay, if you don't and all the interns are gone, there's you and me, and I'm not allowed to because I'm not a Canadian citizen, so I don't have a Canadian driver's license. So if you aren't and I'm not, then we need to go find a coach or a trainer who is here to train all the players, like keep them all healthy. You got to take one of those two people and send them on a three-hour car ride. And I had that happen with two different people up there. And it astounds me that people that work in professional sports would ever say, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And I get it. You may not want to do it. And you may rarely have to do it once a year. But occasionally, you got to suck it up. And these two people, I was stunned they wouldn't. And to this day, those two people lost my respect forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you don't want to do this, you don't do that anymore, well, you won't be in this business anymore. How about that? Uh, yeah, exactly. That would have been my answer. If I'd been the boss, I would have said, you don't want to? All right, then you don't want to work for the Alouettes anymore. It's been nice knowing you. Go get your right. stuff, pack it up, and be out of the dorm in an hour. <laughs> hey, rocket science. No, I mean, it's uh, uh, education that we try to teach and preach each week here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. And, you know, we can tell stories like that for days, and we'll just save them, tell some more next week. We'll come back, we'll do it again, because uh, every time I talk to you, Russ, this, this uh, hour of power just flies by. So we've, uh, we've done did it again, my man, but uh, always a pleasure. Enjoy uh the, the banter, the learning, uh, and the time. So we thank you for joining us each and every week. And we always look forward to doing this. Uh, and we'll be back to do it again next week. My favorite time of the week. I'm excited. This is always one of my favorite hours of the entire week. Anytime I get to chat with my man, Rick, one of my closest friends in the business and one of the best human beings in the whole football industry, I am excited every week when we get to hop on this oh, and boy. shit or chat about what we think is important in football. 
that pedestal just got a little bit bigger there, Russ. I don't know. You're building me up too much, my man. But we, <laughs> we appreciate the love. And we appreciate all the love that uh, the listeners out there show us and, and you know, uh, the support. And if you're a new first-time listener, well, thanks uh, for finding us. You can always subscribe on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. You'll get notified of new show alerts. We do this each and every week. And for those of you who tune in each and every week, you already know. Buckle up. It's Double Chin Strap time today. Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.